Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. I'll share with you about two lost sons because it's been something that um, I feel like has really uh, helped me to decide what it is that we're going to do in ministry. And, and it's shaped a lot of how I see the gospel and what ministry ought to be like. And, and so we're going to go that route here in just a minute. But I just want to take a quick second as well to say thank you to Pastor Jim for this opportunity to have our real life worship team up here and for me to be able to speak to you. This is really cool. This is a lot of fun. And uh, thank you for caring about the young people in here in this church. This is great. Well, I could talk, like I said, about this all day long, uh, about our vision, but I'm going to try to just give you the skinny through the two lost sons here that we'll look at in Luke 15 together in a moment. And before you check out saying, okay, well, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have students in the house, or I'm not a student. I've been a student for a long time. I, I promise that what we're going to look at today, not only does it speak directly to what it is that we're trying to accomplish in student ministry, but it's also going to speak to our uh, every human heart as well, because there are certain things about all of us that we share in common, right? And so uh, I, I don't want you to check out, really think that this will be something that will be good for all of us to, to explore together. Well, let's start with young people, though. Young people are very much driven by the desire to know that they're worth something and to know that their lives and what they do actually has meaning, that they can actually find deep satisfaction in, and freedom in life, that that can actually be something that is found and that it's possible to have hope for the future beyond my current circumstances, that I can look beyond, that I can look to the future and that it will get better, that I'll be able to get to this place in life where, where I do have that sense of identity and purpose and satisfaction in life. In fact, Tim Keller in his recent book, Making Sense of God, which if you don't know who Tim Keller is, he's a, a pastor in New York City, and I'm just like a Tim Keller fanboy. I think he's awesome. He's my man crush Monday, my man crush Tuesday, man crush every day. Like, he's, he's awesome. So I recommend him if you want to podcast him or anything like that. But anyway, so in his recent book, Making Sense of God, he argues that these are actually the things that we all live for, everyone, not just students. But we all are, are pursuing and that our life is going towards, is trying to get these things to be a part of our life. They're the things that really make life worth living. People don't live for money. People live for what they think money will do for them, right? They don't live for fame. They live for what they think fame will do for them. And on and on and on we could go about just certain things that people live for that they think they're living for, but it's really what it'll do for them that they're pursuing. And so everyone is living with hopes that they might find meaning, purpose, identity, satisfaction, freedom, and hope. And I identify with that. I identify with this yearning. And sometimes we look at young people and they have these uh, types of yearnings in their life and we go, oh man, I can't believe, you know, we've had enough life experience that we've become pessimists about life. And so we're, we, we just go, okay, this is as good as it's going to get. But students, a lot of time, because they're so young, they still think that these things can be tangibly real to them. And I want to identify with that. I think that we all do to a certain degree that if these things were actually possible, we would go, how do I get that? 
We want those things. And so I don't think it's the yearning that's broken. I think it's the exercise of it. It's how we, how we pursue those things that's broken and that we sometimes see in all of, in all of us, but some, many times in our students that we see is broken. Uh, we can see illustrations from uh, culture, right? It's all over culture and the music and movies that we listen to. Uh, how many of you are Rocky fans? I'm a huge Rocky fan. I think Rocky's a stud. Okay, some of you. There's a few of you. Okay, the rest of you are like, I don't like Rocky. I don't like the way he talks. I love the way he talks. I think he's awesome. So Rocky, okay, in Rocky 2, there's this time where he's sitting down on the bed and Adrian's, his, his wife is laying next to him. And the following day, he's going to be fighting Apollo Creed. And he says something to the effect to Adrian that I just want to make sure I can go the rounds with Apollo Creed and I'll know that I'm not a bum. If I could just go the rounds, if I could just do my time with him in the ring, I'll know that my life is actually worth something. I'm not just some bum from the Bronx like I just, or from Philadelphia. I know, I'll know that I have what it takes in life is what he's saying. You know, it comes to like even animated movies. Uh, my favorite animated movie because my nephew made me watch it over and over and over. It's like drilled into my brain is Toy Story, okay? And one of the characters from Toy Story, any Toy Story fans? Yes, you can. It's okay for you to talk back in church. It's okay. All right, so you got uh, uh, Woody, right? And it says on the bottom of his foot, Andy, right? And what happens when he becomes, when he's not Andy's toy anymore, someone paints over it. And the rest of the movie is all about him trying to get back to being Andy's toy because without that, he feels as though uh, he doesn't know what to do with himself. His identity and all that he was was wrapped up in being Andy's toy. And we could go on and on. If you've ever seen the movie uh, 17 again uh, with Zac Efron, the whole movie is really just about the guy's identity, you know, and what will bring satisfaction and worth in life. The whole movie is just about that. So what does the scripture have to say about this? Jesus is going to critique here in just a moment of uh, the ways that all of us in life have sought to find meaning, purpose, satisfaction, joy, hope. He's going to critique it, and he's going to go, here's the ways people have done it, and they're both wrong. And he's going to show us a third way. But let's start in Luke chapter 15, starting verse 1 through 2. And this is going to give us a context for what's happening uh, in this uh, story of the two lost sons. There are some people that have gathered to listen to him, and we get a picture. We want to see uh, what Jesus says later isn't disconnected from who his audience is. So verse 1, you can look at the Sky Bible or follow along in your notes. You have tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complained that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Both Pharisees and um, uh, religious folks, as well as the sinners, had just gathered around him. Both of these two groups of people were there. It's the sinners who often came to him. Now, we could explore that further. We don't have time to about the tax collectors and sinners. I'll just say this, that these are like the bottom-rung people of society that no one else in that culture would have wanted to be around. And these people often came to hang out with Jesus. And it's over here where the Pharisees are and the religious leaders, and they're looking down their nose, and they stand in judgment. And we already, even just here, start to see a little bit of practical application for uh, how we might do church or how we might even, what we're, what we're trying to accomplish in student ministry. And it goes like this is, who's, who does the church attract? Do we attract the sort of people that Jesus attracted? 
Do we just attract the religious, moral, altogether tidy sort of people? Or is there a rough around the edges sort of group that is always a part of what's happening there that's, that often comes to Jesus? And this is why I'm not so concerned out in real life student ministers of having just a really good, moral, tidy group of teenagers because if we ever get to the place where we don't have that rough around the edge, then that means we're missing something. We're, we're missing out on something because these are the people that came to Jesus. And so if we don't get the same response Jesus got, then I have to ask myself this question. I have to say, am I preaching the same message Jesus preached? Like if, 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 if I don't get the same response, am I really living the same way he did? Do I preach the same way he did? So these are the people that are there, and Jesus now is about to shatter our human framework for how we've understood how to find fulfillment and purpose and joy in life and how we connect with God. And so we'll, I know it's a chunk of scripture here, but you have to consider the whole story to, for it to really make sense. So let's read it together here. You can follow along on the Sky Bible here, and it's starting in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was eating uh, even the excuse me even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him but no one gave him anything when he finally came to his senses he said to himself at home even the hired servants have enough food to spare and here i am dying in hunger i will go home to my father and say father i've sinned against both heaven and you and i'm no longer worthy of being called your son please take me on as a hired servant so he so he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son uh, said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, Dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. 
So there's a lot going on. There's a, there's a lot there, and we're not going to be able to get to all of it. But we're going to start here with Act 1, which is called The Younger Brother. And I want you, as we go through Act 1 and Act 2 of The Younger Brother, as well as the ones coming, be looking, be thinking about uh, how we can already see what it is that Jesus is trying to show of how God is to his people, of how God is to us, and, and how we often respond to him. And you'll start to see a lot of those parallels here. Do you see what happened with the younger brother? He comes to his father and demands his inheritance now. He's saying this, I want the father's stuff, but I don't want you. I don't want you, I just want your stuff. He's giving, give me my inheritance now. When do you get an inheritance? When your parents pass away. And he's saying, and, and in that time period, your inheritance would have been tied to the land, and your life was the land. Your land, we don't really understand that. And so I say that just because that we need to understand just the gravity and the weight of what is being asked here. This son isn't just saying, yeah, give me the portion that you're getting. You know, he's asking the father to tear his life apart, tear apart his standing in the community. He's saying to the father, essentially, I'd rather you were dead and I want your stuff. I want your stuff. I'd rather, and can you imagine? Can you imagine like he's publicly and shaming his father and he knows it. It's not like he doesn't know what he's doing. He knows what he's doing and he doesn't care. This is, this is incredible. This is outstanding that he would be so bold. But it, it's, a, it's a complete disaster. You know, the father bears, so this is a point that we won't be able, be able to explore a whole lot, but the father bears the agony of rejected love. He bears the agony of rejected love, splits his inheritance, two-thirds to the older, one-third to the young. And, the, and then so then the younger goes off, lives wildly, blows it all, and, and then he uh, finds himself, you know, without anything, so destitute, so without anything that he's even longing for the pods of the pigs that he's feeding, which, uh, again, the, the effect is lost on us in our culture, but this would have been incredibly offensive to Jewish culture, like that he would have even been longing for the pods of pigs. And so what's the point? Jesus is saying, this guy has hit rock bottom. You don't get more rock bottom than this guy. People always say they need to hit rock bottom, then they'll change. Well, this guy was there. You don't go much further wrong, uh, much further in sin than this guy had. He had, he had done it all. That's what Jesus is saying. He had done it all. He'd squandered it all, and he is so destitute. And then he decides this. Okay, there was always enough in my father's house. He comes to his senses a bit. There was always enough in my father's house, so I'll go back, and I know what I'll have to do in this culture. I know I'm not going to be worthy to be a son, that I'll never be a son again. I'll never be a part of the family. I'll never get more inheritance, but if, he, if I can just be a hired servant, then I at least know I can start to repay something to my father. I can earn back some favor with him if I can do that. That's what he's thinking. I'll have to earn back some favor. I can pay it back, but I'll never be part of the family. So he goes back, and here, this is, you guys got to catch this. This is beautiful. He goes back, and here's the father's response. He sees him a long way off. He sees this younger son who has publicly shamed him, said that he would have rather him die. I want your stuff. I mean, it doesn't get much wor worse than this, this rejection that he gave, a, gave to his father. It doesn't get much worse than that. But the father sees him a long way off and then runs to him. 
You're like, why is that significant? I run every day. Running in that culture, I mean, children ran, women ran, but I mean, a patriarch, a landowner, a man of of that status would have never picked up his robes and run to a son who has publicly shamed him like that. That would have been incredible. No one would have ever thought this father would have done that, but he doesn't, this father, Jesus is trying to show, this father cares nothing for what anyone else thinks. He cares nothing for the cultural norms but is overwhelmed with love and compassion for his younger son, even though he's done the worst he could do, picks up his robes, runs to him, overwhelmed with love and compassion, then embraces him, kisses him. Like, this is incredible. This is amazing that he would go that far. And then what happened? The younger son starts his speech. Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And then the father interrupts him right in the middle of his speech and says, quick, servants, quick, get the finest robe in the house. What was the finest robe? It was his robe. It would have been the robe of his honor. And so he goes, get the finest robe in the house and let's put it on my son who was dead but now is alive. Put sandals on his feet, put a ring on his finger. What is Jesus saying is happening? This guy's being welcomed back part of the family, and he hasn't even done anything. He hasn't said a thing. He hasn't been able to pay for anything. He hasn't, I mean, he hasn't even really finished his whole speech, and the father doesn't even wait, doesn't even wait, but welcomes him back as a son, covers his shame, covers his poverty, his brokenness with the robe of his honor. His honor covers all his shame and brokenness. This is, is this not a picture of what means to come to Jesus, you know, of when we're so far, when we're so jacked up, when I don't get much worse, and and I do it all on my own, and I come back, and he covers me with his honor. It's beautiful, and so what's the point? Is that God's love, his forgiveness, it can cover any wrongdoing. You think you've gone too far? You're like, oh, if I go into that church, the roof's going to cave in. Are you kidding me? This guy, this guy was as far rock bottom as it gets, And did you see how the father responded? This is how he wants to respond to you. This is how he longs to connect with you. This is wonderful. You got act two now. The elder brother. So we've seen the younger brother. What about the elder brother? Well, he's working in the fields, remember? He's out working, and he is coming home, and he hears the party. Here's music and dancing, and he's like, what's going on? So he asks the servant, oh, your, your brother's back. And your father's killed the fatted calf. And soon as they say that, that the father's killed the fatted calf, he's like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, and you're like, what's the deal, man? I have steak with like most meals. It's not a big deal. Like this would have been incredibly expensive. You don't get meal, uh, meat with every meal. This would have been a rare occasion. This would have normally been like a community event, but they're throwing a private party for this son who's come back. And this older son is just so indignant that he would do that. I can't believe that you would throw a party. I I never even got a goat. What is he saying to the father? I have rights. I've I've earned favor with you. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've never, what did he say to the father? I've never not done anything you've asked me to do. And you've never given me a goat. And some of us are like, yeah, that's right. Why didn't the, see? Jesus is trying to show us something here about this older brother. He's saying to the father, you owe me. He's upset about how much is it costing because it's cutting into his inheritance. 
he had two-thirds of the inheritance as the older son. And if this guy has been, if the younger brother's been welcomed back as a son, then that means he gets even less of an inheritance. And the father's spending it right now on this younger brother who's squandered it all on prostitutes and wild living. He's incredibly indignant and prideful. And do you see how he felt superior to his younger brother? How he felt superior, how because of his moral goodness, he could look down on this brother uh, as being less. Did you see how he responded to the father? This son of yours comes back and you throw a party for him. It's not his younger brother. He's saying, this son of yours comes back. So he's looking down. He thinks he's better and he thinks he can leverage control over the father because of his moral goodness. You say, well, what's the point, Eric? There's two ways, I think, that Jesus, Jesus is trying to show us that there's two ways that people try to find fulfillment in life. Everybody in the world, everybody, every one of us, we all fall into two categories. We fall into the self-discovery, like the, like the younger brother who went off and did his own thing, and he partied it up, and he was like, hey, I'm going to find fulfillment by just following my own desires. It's going to be awesome, and then poof, crash and burn, right? And then you have the moral conformity group, group that says, I'm going to do all the right things, I'm going to follow all the rules, and then God will, then God will come through. Then I'll be right with God. If I do all the right things, then life will mean something. Even if it's not in relation to God, all sorts of people think, if I can just achieve or do the right thing, then I'll be worthy in life. And each one of these groups thinks the world would be better without the other, and we float back and forth in between the two oftentimes in life having been crushed by moralism, having been crushed by moral conformity. We tried to keep all the rules, but what did we discover when we tried to keep all the rules? You couldn't, right? You tried to measure up. You tried to do all the right things. Even, even some of us as Christians, we get saved by grace, and then we default back to moral conformity, and that is not Christianity. That is religion. So here's what happens. We get saved by grace, and then we go, oh, I got to do all the right things. I got to do all the right things. But what do you find? You can't do it. And so you're walking around with your head down all the time as though, you, as though you're not worthy. And, and, and so, uh, and that's it's just because you, you're not understanding what's actually happening. You're trying to meet a standard that's already been met for you and given to you in Jesus. So this is wonderful that, um, that Jesus shows these two these two ways, and he critiques them, saying neither one of them is going to work. And if I could just say, like, even something quick to uh, parents, you know, sometimes we do this uh, thing of wanting our kids to be obedient, just wanting them to be good. And so what do we do? We end up crushing them with our moral standard. Uh, they come to, a lot of times, I'm not saying this is true always, but I'm saying sometimes it's how students feel, is as though they get love and affection when they do all the right things, then their parents give them love and affection. Okay, you did this, you did this. Ah, I give you love and affection. Good job, awesome. But when they don't meet that expectation, they don't measure up, they don't get the love, they don't get the affection. What are your kids learning? They're learning that your love is conditional. And did you see in this story that the father's love for both of his kids was not conditioned on how good or bad they were? Isn't that wonderful? And so what's happening a lot of times with kids is they, they'll get crushed just like we do, by trying to measure up by, to a standard that they cannot meet. And so if they cannot meet it, they'll default to the other side and go to the self-discovery route. And then they're partying, they're going off and, and doing all sorts of crazy things, following whatever desire they have. And you're going, 
dial up Pastor Eric, what happened to my kid? Like he was in church and now he's partying. And this is a lot of times what happens is they, then they'll default to the other side because they were crushed under the weight of moralism. And so exactly what you were trying to keep from happening, you've driven to happen um, in kids a lot of times. And these two brothers, they're a lot alike too, aren't they? Um, they both wanted the father's stuff, but not the father. They both wanted to control the father, but they just did it in different ways. They approached it from different ways. They both were using the father rather than just loving them, loving the father for who he was. Is the father, is God a means to an end for you or is he everything? You know, is he everything to you? Or is he a means to an end? Which one was most noticeably far from God? It was the younger brother, right? He was most noticeably far from God. And sometimes we look at the generation that's coming up and we go, man, they're just far more lost than my generation was. I can't believe all the things that I'm seeing. This is, this is crazy. I don't know what's going to happen. But, and I'm not going to try to dispute or argue with you about like, those different things. But what I'll say is this, is that before we too quickly judge this generation for their self-discovery route of trying to explore and find fulfillment in life by just following their desires. Um, let me ask this question. Which brother knew he was lost? The younger, younger or the older? They were both lost. The younger came to know that he was lost. The elder brother had no idea he was lost. He thought he was good. And so uh, I'm just saying, let's not, let's not look at it and go, I can't believe this generation's lost. Let's look and say, man, there's an opportunity for so many people to come to know life in Jesus. And this would be wonderful. Look at the opportunity we have because here's what happens with self-discovery every time. And maybe you're like, find yourself in that, in that uh, mode right now to where you're just trying to figure it out on your own and you're following whatever desires you want is that you will always end in, crash, uh, end in a crash and burn sort of way. It'll, sin will make you, any sin, sin will make you go further than you want to go, make you pay more than you want to pay, and make you stay longer than you want to stay every time. And then you will, hit, you know, it looks good on the outside at first, but what does sin do? It makes you go further than you wanted to go and pay more than you wanted to pay. And so you end up like the younger brother going, I'm destitute. I don't know what's going, don't, I don't even know what I'm doing right now. This is crazy. And... Uh, but it's the younger brothers. You know, you don't have to go to the person who's actually there on rock bottom and say, hey man, you're lost. They, they know they're lost. They just now need something that, that they need a third way now. But you don't have to go to someone who's hit rock bottom and go, you're lost. The older brother, on the other hand, he was lost and didn't know it. And he was lost. Here's, and this is, this is, this is so good. The older brother was not lost and alienated from the father because, uh, in spite of his goodness, but because of his goodness. He wasn't alienated from the father in spite of his goodness. It was because of his goodness. It was his goodness, because of his goodness, that he thought God owed him something. The elder brother types, because of their goodness, think they can leverage that goodness in control against the father. It's because of their goodness that they can look down on people uh, uh, who aren't as good as them, you know, and, and say that they're of less value because of their moral goodness. See, sin is far deeper. We thought sin was just doing all the bad things, where sin was actually, it's far deeper than that. Sin is all of the things that you did wrong, sure, 
in Christianity, we, we turn our back on all of our lists, right? The things that we've done wrong. You turn your back on that in repentance and you ask God for forgiveness. But you also, and this only happens in Christianity, do you turn your back on the, the wrong reasons you did something right? The wrong reasons you did. God wants your heart. He wants your motive. He wants to change that. He doesn't want you to just look good and be able to put a show on like the elder brother. He wants your heart. It's far deeper than we might have thought it was. And I might step on some toes with this, but you can see religious motive many times. If I were up here preaching in a hat and, you know, just tennis shoes and stuff like that, like I might do on in, in Wednesday or Sunday at the youth service, some of you might go, oh man, how disrespectful. I can't believe he's up there preaching in a hat or, or, or something like that. And then other people out here would go, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I can't believe people would judge you for preaching in a hat or something like that. But let me step on the other side now. If I were up here preaching in a suit, some of you would go, oh, what a sellout. Young guy like that. He ought to be preaching in a hat. He ought to be pushing the envelope. You know? They're both religious motive. You see what I'm saying? Religious motive always looks down its nose at someone else. They look really good on the outside. They're serving Jesus. They spend all their time. They look really sacrificial. They look really good. And we praise them a lot of time going, oh, they're really good. But all it is, is them trying to leverage control against someone else. Leverage control to try to get affirmation, leverage control against God. And then as soon as it all gets blown apart, they go, you owed me. You owed me, God, or whatever it might be. Who were you doing it for? Were you doing it, were you really doing it for Jesus? If you feel like you are owed something, then you're operating like an elder brother and you're alienated from the father not because of, uh, because of your goodness. Your goodness has gotten in the way. You thought your goodness would get you to Jesus. But there's a third way. So Jesus is saying, neither one of these is going to work. And here's what Jesus does. He goes, I'm going to enter into creation as creator. This is beautiful. Only in Christianity do you get creator entering into creation to live the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. And he switches places with us. And so that I can be like that, that son who has all of my shame and poverty and nakedness covered with the robe of his honor. With, a, with the robe of his honor, he switches places with us because uh, only, only God could pay a God-sized debt. So I needed Jesus to come and do what I couldn't do. And here's what I tell students all the time is anything that operates within its uh, purpose flourishes. Anything that operates, and here's the thing, you're broken, I'm broken, are we not? Like, we know that to be true. If we were to put, like, your heart up on the screen of all, like, the thoughts and things that you've had go through your mind in the last day, you'd be like, oh, that, no, that's, that's not right. That's got to be somebody else's. That couldn't be me. I don't know who that is. Or if I put mine up there, I put my heart up on the screen, and you'd be like, oh, that's in there? You're a pastor? Like, Pastor Jay, I think we need to rethink this guy. Like, you know, like, See what I'm saying? We're broken and we know it. And so we try to find fulfillment. We try to find life in either of these two ways. Okay, I'll try to measure up or I'll try and do it on my own. And Jesus says, neither. You got to come to me. And I switch places. And then he, he transforms your heart to where now you're not doing it as leverage to God. You don't serve him out of trying to get anything. You just want him. You're not using the father. You just want him. There's a great story I wish I could tell you. I'll try to tell it quickly. <laughs> Are you guys okay with that? Can I tell you a quick story? Okay. So it's this apocryphal story. Um, 
and uh, it's written after the Gospels. It's not in the Bible, but it talks about Jesus and his disciples. And so the story goes like this. I'm going to tell it quick. Is um, Jesus comes to his disciples and says, I want you to carry a stone for me. And so they all pick up stones. And then Peter, being the like real practical sort of person, picks up the smallest stone he can find and goes, well, Jesus didn't say how big it needed to be. So, all right, I'm good. You know, and so he puts a small, and then he says, follow me. So all the disciples follow him. And about noontime, he has them sit down and take out their rocks. He waves his hand and all the rocks turn to bread. And he says, it's lunchtime. And so they, they all start eating lunch, but Peter's lunch is gone in just a matter of seconds. It's gone so quickly. And he's like, man, he's hungry, he's starving. And then Jesus says to them again, I'd like you to carry a stone for me. And then Peter goes, ah, I get it now. Okay, dude. All right. Looks around, big old stone, puts it on, hoists it on his back. And he's like carrying this thing. Jesus says, follow me. And he leads them on a journey. And Peter can barely keep up. And then they finally get to supper time and they come to a river and Jesus says, throw your stone into the river. So they, all the disciples are like, okay, throw the stone into the river. And then he says, follow me. And then the disciples, along with Peter, they stand there and just, they're dumbfounded. They're like, what? We thought it was supper time. And Jesus looks at them and sighs and says, don't you remember what I asked you to do? Who were you carrying the stone for? See, a lot of times we, what do we, who, do we just want him? Or are we trying to do something to get him to do something for us? And if you go the third route of just, Jesus, I just want you, you'll flourish because he brings you back to your intended purpose. I'm not saying being a Christian is easy, but I'm saying you flourish. All of these things that are worth, that make life worth living, the meaning, purpose, identity, freedom, hope, all of that is bound up in being brought back into your purpose, which only Jesus can do. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.